What's up, guys? Welcome back to the MMA meeting. Let's talk with the Weasel Podcast, where we talk all things MMA. Hope you guys are having a fantastic day. A lot has been going on in the sport. I mean, from the two pay-per-view cards to the last fight night card, and a bunch of fights getting announced, or at least they're in the works. Habib talking crazy against fighters. You can't go anywhere without hearing Hamza Shemaev's name these days. I mean, the sport is in a fantastic place. The featherweight division is doing amazing too, with Zabit coming back. I would have to say, this is probably the best time in UFC history. I mean, I've been watching consistently since like 2007. The golden era with Anderson Silva, GSP, John Jones, Jose Aldo, Cain Velasquez, Frankie Edgar, Dominic Cruz, all champions. Even though in that era, we had the most dominant champions in UFC history in one single era. I have to say, this era is the best era ever. In terms of top-notch contenders amazing fights back to back every knockout of the year is crazier than the last one i mean the evolution of the game i believe is making the sport a lot better as time goes on i mean really think about the best divisions in the ufc right now right now we probably have the best lightweight division of all time probably the best featherweight division of all time the best bantamweight division of all time arguably best welterweight division of all time and heavyweight is definitely getting up there too probably it's in his prime as well there is not a better time to watch the sport than today it's absolutely a special time and speaking of special time it is crazy what Hamza Shemaev has been doing, honestly. The guy is just exceeding expectations every single time he competes. From only getting hit twice in his first two fights, to knocking out Gerald Mearshaw, who a lot of people believe that Mearshaw had the advantage on the feet, knocking him out with one single punch in the first round. And then after COVID, and the longest layoff of his UFC career, he goes and fights the first-ranked opponent, number 11, Li Jingliang, and dominates him from start to finish, making it look easier than almost anybody has ever been Li Jingliang before. And the guy's only, what, 27 years old? Has less than a dozen professional fights? Only four fights in the UFC, and people are already regarding him as the best fighter in this division. I don't think he is right now. He still needs to prove himself. But when I picked him as a nightmare matchup for both Adesanya and Kamaru Usman, that was before I knew what he could do to a ranked contender like Li Jingliang. Now after knowing that, I have to bump him up even more in points. I had him as like the fourth hardest matchup for Kamaru Usman before this Jingliang fight. I might have to bump him up probably even ahead of Gilbert Burns as the third hardest matchup. Some people are already regarding him as the nightmare matchup for Kamaru Usman, the number one pick. It's absolutely insane. The amount of attention and hype the Hamza Shamayev was able to generate in such a short amount of time. I mean, we look back in history, Chris Wyman got a bunch of attention and so did Cody Garbrandt, right? The thing is though, when they got to Hamza's experience in MMA, they already fought the champion. And that's how they got that attention. That's how they got that hype. The fact that they got promoted in a title fight and then they performed very well against Anderson Silva and Dominic Cruz respectively. Hamzat just beat the number 11 ranked fighter and people already look at him as like the next big thing in the sport. It's a different level of attention that he was able to garner. The guy didn't have a title shot yet. Imagine, imagine he goes out there and beats the champ. It comes back to that debate that we were having about who is potentially the biggest future star in the sport. Hamzat, Patty Pimblett, or Sean O'Malley. At this point, man, it's looking like it's for sure going to be Hamza Shemaev. He beats Kamaru Usman, and we're looking at the next superstar of the sport 100%. But firstly, he needs a few fights before that. And there's already a fight for him in the works. They are trying to set up him versus Gilbert Burns, and Burns is all up for it. He said, I'll give him the opportunity. This is potentially the hardest matchup for Hamza Shemaev in the top five. Under usual circumstances, going on the ground with Gilbert Burns is a death sentence. And that's generally where Hamza dominates his opponents. Is he going to take Gilbert Burns to the ground? If he takes Burns to the ground and dominates him, and makes him look like he doesn't belong on the ground with him, that would be one of the most mind-blowing experiences for us fans. If he's able to do that against a guy like Gilbert Burns, one of the best grapplers to ever compete in MMA, there would be a level of shock that we cannot even anticipate. 
But ultimately, in that kind of fight, I do think Hamza will try to strike with Burns a lot more, given that Burns doesn't have a great chin. He doesn't really move his head off the center line that much, especially when he's going forward. He likes to throw that winging right overhand. He's a lot smaller than Hamza. So I can potentially see Gilbert Burns getting caught on his way in or pressured backwards on the cage and eating a right hand. That could absolutely happen because Hamza has shown time and time again that he has legit one-shot knockout power. He's also very fast with his hands. But we still have to see how much better he has gotten with his hands ever since that Gerald Mearshar fight. And we didn't even see much in that fight either. There's a lot of questions around his striking. You really have to go back before the UFC where he fought that, um, I forgot his name. His name escapes me. That other Sambo champion that he couldn't take to the ground. And he struck with him the whole fight. And he was able to light that guy up in some moments. But Burns does have the leg kicks. We haven't really seen a lot of guys throw leg kicks at Hamzat. And Burns is one of the few fighters in this division that could throw leg kicks at anybody without being worried about taking it to the ground. But I wonder if Hamzat is going to dive on that leg and actually go to the ground with Burns. That is the ultimate question about that fight. Is Hamzat going to dive into the fire? Just thinking about him doing that, it's already getting me super hyped about that fight. And with that fight being in the works... It means that Leon Edwards is probably going to take that time off that he wanted. Jorge Masdal has spoken out about his pullout. He mostly talked about, I think it was Leon Edwards' manager or something. And he pretty much said that Leon doesn't get the, the big payday. And that his manager is not going to make any money off of Leon. I mean, it was kind of a strange comment that he made. He didn't really talk too much about Leon Edwards. And it makes me wonder if they are going to put this fight back up together. But I doubt it. Because they put this fight together before Colby fought tomorrow. Now that that fight is over... I mean, why would they do Leon versus Jorge, right? When they have Colby Covington there, you got to do Jorge versus Colby. I mean, it's a bigger money fight. Colby's a bigger name than Leon is, and there's more of a rivalry there. They could promote the fight a lot better than what they could do with Leon. I mean, the Leon and Jorge fight, they could promote very well, but there was just like one scuffle between the two. Jorge and Colby have a large history together that spans back years, and for sure Jorge would want to fight Colby more than he would want to fight Leon Edwards. I mean, it does more for his pockets. It's more of a grudge match for him. I, I'm pretty sure he would love to punch Colby in the face more than he would like to punch Leon in the face. The UFC wants it, and the fans want it too. So that's for sure the fight that's going to be booked together. And Leon might get his title shot. I don't know. With the fact that Hamzat is going to be fighting Gilbert Burns, Jorge most likely is going to fight Colby. I do expect Colby to dominate him. That leaves Leon and Kamara Usman open. Which means they might put that fight together. And I do expect Kamaru Usman to dominate that fight. Wrestle him pretty easily into a decision. I think that fight will bring back the Kamaru Usman that people felt bored of. You know, I don't think Kamaru is going to really want to strike with Leon too much. He might land some shots here and there. But ultimately, he's going to go to the path of least resistance. And try to take that guy to the ground and grind out the win. And man, I really love Jorge versus Colby. I really want to see this fight happen. I do expect Colby to dominate. I do expect this wrestling to be too strong, and even striking-wise, he has gotten a lot more technical. I think it's going to be pretty hard for Hori to really catch him that cleanly in some moments, especially with the fact that Colby can use his striking with his wrestling in this one. Against Kamaru Usman, he tried to, but it really didn't make much of a difference for him. Going for takedowns and stuff didn't really help him in that one, because Kamaru Usman could neutralize the wrestling as he showed. Hori can't. Which means that the wrestling is going to be so much of a threat that Jorge is going to leave himself open on the feet. It's going to be very similar to what happened with him and Kamaru. Except I do see a lot more wrestling from Colby compared to what Usman did to Jorge. And now regarding the whole thing with Justin Gaethje, Islam Makashev, and the lightweight title picture. There's two sides being taken in the title shot argument. Some people want Islam Makashev, the new blood of the division. Someone who hasn't fought for a title yet. Someone who's on a long win streak. And someone's getting backed up by Habib. They want that guy to fight for the title next after Dustin Poirier versus Charles Oliveira. And then there's the other side that believes Justin Gaethje deserves to get that title shot right now. Especially with his win over Michael Chandler. 
and the fact that his only loss in recent years was to Habib. There's also the argument by default that Islam Makhachev hasn't really fought a top contender besides Dan Hooker, who's not even in the top five. Justin Gaethje just beat a top five opponent in Michael Chandler. Therefore, Gaethje should get the title shot over Islam Makhachev, who Makhachev should fight again to secure it for himself. And man, I can side with both arguments here. I want someone new to fight for the belt. Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier have been in the title picture for years now. How many title fights have they been in in the last like two years? Right, it's been like three for each of them in the last two years. So I can see where people want to see someone new fight for the belt. They don't want to see the same old guys rotating at the top. And with the skills that Islam Makhachev brings to the table, that brings a level of threat that people want to see. And you can also relate Islam Makhachev to someone like Leon Edwards, right? They both haven't beaten a top five opponent. The best ranked guy they ever beat was inside the top 10, I believe. I don't know if Rafa Dos Angels was in the top 10 for Leon, but Islam beat Dan Hooker, who I believe was like number seven or number eight or something like that. And they're both on this crazy long win streak. So I can see through consistency that the people who wanted to see Leon fight for the belt are also the people who want to see Islam fight for the belt because they're both in a very similar spot and you can kind of compare Gilbert Burns to someone like Justin Gaethje except for the fact that the champion that Gilbert Burns lost to is still the champ the champ that Justin Gaethje lost to is retired but let's say if Dustin Poirier goes out there and beats Charles Oliveira now it becomes very very similar because Dustin Poirier also knocked out Justin Gaethje just it wasn't a title fight Kamaru knocked out Gilbert Burns so Leon is very similar to Islam Akashev and Gilbert Burns is very similar to Justin Gaethje Gilbert Burns just beat Wonderboy Thompson Justin Gaethje just beat Michael Chandler although very different kind of performances it's very interesting to see the consistency as to what people say in these two divisions. If people want to see Islam fight for the belt, they also have to want Leon Edwards to fight for the belt. If people want to see Justin Gaethje fight for the belt, more probably they want to have Gilbert Burns fight for the belt as well. Honestly though, there's one big solution to all of this. Have Islam fight Justin Gaethje. Clear cut number one contender right there. And nobody could deny the winner of that fight a title shot. That's what they got to do next. I like to see Justin Gaethje fight for the belt next. I love to see him rematch Dustin Poirier. I love to see him go up against Charles Oliveira and see if these criticisms against Oliveira are true. I love to see a young guy in Islam Makhachev get his chance at a title shot. But man, I think the best thing to do is Islam versus Gaethje. I know that's not a favorable matchup for Justin Gaethje at all, especially with how he performed against Habib. But he did say that his fight with Habib has allowed him to get so much better. I really wonder the progression he has made in his takedown defense to be able to thwart off Islam Makhachev. So that is the fight I would love to see next. Have Islam fight Justin Gaethje. The lightweight title fight is a month away, and most likely the winner of that is going to want a bit of time off. I mean, this is going to be the third fight in Dustin Poirier's career this year. They're both going to try to celebrate the holidays and everything. I'm pretty sure they're going to want to take some time off after this. That leaves a bit of time for Islam to fight Gaethje, probably in like February or March, depends how hurt Justin Gaethje is. I think he's only sore because of the leg kicks. I don't think he's injured at all. So they could potentially fight maybe February or March. And the winner of that fight goes up against the champion, let's say May or June. First one by Diego Stork. What's next for Corey Sandhagen? He's 2-3 and three in his last five, but is clearly one of the best fighters in his division. Does he fight someone lower rank to build himself back up? Or does he take a shot at featherweight? How well do you think Sandhagen would do against the featherweights? Love the content. Keep it up. Thank you so much, man. So firstly, Corey Sandhagen should not go up to featherweight. He's long and tall, but man, he doesn't have the size. 5'11", 72-inch reach is some good length, but walking into the cage on fight night at 149 pounds is not great at all. There's a lot of other bantamweights that walk into the cage much heavier than he does. He seems to weigh around the same as Pietro Jan, TJ Dillashaw, Marlon Vera, Dominic Cruz, and Henry Cejudo. And then you look at some of the bigger bantamweights, such as Brett Johns, who walks into the cage at 158 pounds. That's a bit different. I mean, Joel Zialdo, a former featherweight, small on the featherweight scale. At bantamweight, he walks into the cage at 155 pounds. 
and he dropped a weight class because he was too small. So no, Corey Sandiger should not go up to featherweight. He would not do too well there. Many of those guys will wrestle him very easily. Even guys like Max Holloway and Brian Ortega, I believe, can take it to the ground pretty consistently. So in my opinion, he should stay at bantamweight and just build himself back up. And it is a bit of a shame that Corey lost to the top three guys of the division. Eljamain's a champ. Piotrion's interim and TJ's number two. He got beaten easily by Sterling, gave a good fight to Piotrion, and I believe beat TJ Dillashaw. But what should be next for him? Either the winner of Rob Font versus Jose Aldo, given the fact that TJ is probably next for a title shot. The only issue with that kind of fight is that if Corey Sandiga beats the winner of Font and Aldo, you can't give him an immediate title shot after that. I mean, I would actually like to see Corey Sandigan versus Marab. That's the fight I would put together. I mean, it's a very bad stylistic matchup for Corey Sandigan, but man, someone's got to fight that guy. Someone in the top five has to go up against that monster. And then we go to Lewis Gordon. What is your favorite fight from each division? So heavyweight division, my favorite fight was Mark Hunt versus Bigfoot 2. My favorite light heavyweight fight has to probably go to Dan Henderson versus Shogun Hua, the first one. My favorite middleweight fight has to probably go to Whitaker versus Romero 2. Favorite welterweight fight, man. There's been so many great ones. Lawler vs. McDonald 2 was amazing. Diaz vs. McGregor 2 was amazing. Of course, the Usman-Covington fights, both of them were fantastic. Carl Parisian vs. Nick Diaz was great. Brian Barbarina vs. Vicente Luque. How could I forget about Lawler vs. Condit? Even though it's really short, Nick Diaz vs. Paul Daly is definitely in my top three. But my number one probably has to go to Robbie Lawler vs. Roy McDonald 2. My favorite lightweight fight, Justin Gagey versus Michael Chandler. That's my favorite lightweight fight of all time. Probably the greatest lightweight fight to ever happen. Um, I really like Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler as well. Just tells you how great of an addition Michael Chandler was for the UFC. Greatest featherweight fight? Oh, that's an easy Josie Aldo versus Chad Mendes too. I mean, there's been amazing fights for the featherweight division, but that one, even with how recent Holloway versus Rodriguez is, I don't think anything tops Aldo versus Mendes too. Korean Zombie versus Yara Rodriguez is up there as well. Favorite bantamweight fight? One that really sticks out is John Lineker versus Francisco Rivera. That was one of the most wild fights I've ever seen. But technically, I'm probably have to go with Piotrion versus Corey Sanhagen. My favorite flyweight fight has to go to Figueroa versus Moreno 1. My favorite woman's bantamweight fight. Shoot, I don't really have a favorite. I guess Nunes versus Shevchenko 2, even though I really don't find any women's bantamweight fights rewatchable. Maybe some of the big knockouts and some of the big upsets, such as Holly Holm versus Ronda Rousey sticks out, or Amanda Nunes knocking everybody out, but I'm really intrigued on the competitive matchups. Same kind of thing for women's flyweight. I mean, I love watching Shevchenko's knockout on Jessica I, but nothing really is rewatchable to that extent for me. And then for women's strawweight, a lot of people like Ioana versus Zhang Wei Li. I don't know what it is, but I was never able to rewatch that fight. Like, I never cared to rewatch it after watching it live. I know it has all the elements to make it rewatchable for me, and I still don't know why that I don't care to rewatch it ever again. But my favorite strawweight fight probably has to go to Ioana versus Rose Namajunas 2. It might just be a style thing. I don't know. And then we go to Fight IQ. Hey, Weasel. My question, in MMA judging scoring, how many light strikes should it take to outweigh a single heavy strike which causes a knockdown? Let's say in a round, Fighter A lands a bunch of probing tapping strikes while Fighter B lands one strike causing a knockdown. Nothing else of significance happens in the round. Who wins? Thanks and love the content. The guy who got the knockdown, 100%. It's all about impact. The closer the guy gets to finishing the fight, knockdown is pretty close at that. It doesn't matter how many probing and tapping strikes you land on the fighter, even if you land 300, but if it doesn't cause that much damage, it doesn't matter, the knockdown is going to weigh more. It's all about impact, it's all about damage, it's all about effect, and if your light strikes aren't affecting to the same extent of the knockdown, it doesn't matter how many strikes you land, that's how the rules are pretty much written. But that is a little bit too clear cut. 
Let's say fighter A lands a bunch of probing tapping strikes, completely takes over the output in the fight. But fighter B lands like a couple heavy shots, but they don't knock down the opponent. That's where the questions rise, and that's where the rule set has to be more clear and direct in terms of when does a cumulative impact trump the immediate impact. Because if fighter B lands five heavy shots on fighter A, but fighter A lands 50 probing and tapping strikes on fighter B, and the effect is pretty hard to distinguish between the two, who wins this? I mean, according to the rules, I guess the immediate impact is going to outweigh the cumulative impact. That's how the rules are written. So it makes it seem like even if Fighter B lands only five heavy strikes and has a similar kind of impact, similar kind of effect on Fighter A, who lands 50 light strikes, that Fighter B still takes that round because the immediate is weighed more than cumulative. That's what it seems like, and that's not right. In that kind of case, the round should be a draw. And that's why I don't like the rule set. I don't like how they judge fights like this. Because it, it's left up to so much interpretation. The way that the rules are written out, it can sometimes be confusing. What would help judging a lot is if they were more lenient on giving 10-10 rounds. They're so against giving 10-10 rounds, they try to write the rules in a way that there's no possible outcome of a draw. And I don't like that. Sometimes fights are draws, man. Sometimes they're too close to call. And if they have to do a rematch, I don't think the fans would ever really complain about that. And then what is Sean Hassong? I heard the UFC is working on another Holloway vs. McGregor. If that's true, how do you see that fight playing out? Also, Chandler vs. Connor and Islam vs. Oliveira. Love the channel. Thank you so much, man. I don't think there's any news on that. I don't think that uh, they want to do Holloway vs. McGregor for the fact that McGregor is still injured. He's probably going to be back spring of next year. Maybe he'll fight in the summer. But let's say hypothetically they do make that fight. If McGregor does not evolve, I think Holloway beats him. If McGregor does not change at all, add anything to his game and keep up with the competition, I can see him beating Holloway in the first two rounds, and from there on, he's not going to be able to keep up with Holloway. In the third, they're going to be a lot more equal in that round, but I believe Holloway will start to get ahead in that round, not only for the fact that Connor is slowing down, but the fact that Holloway sometimes can be a bit of a slow starter, and it does take him some time to read the opponent. McGregor starts strong, and then he gets weaker as the fight plays out. McGregor's strongest round is usually in the second, because he does take the first to read the opponent a little bit, to time their shots, and he really starts exploding through those openings in the second round with the best precision possible and it's before the opponent can really read his movements the second round is where it takes time for the opponent to understand what connor is doing and that is why i do believe that holloway will start to figure out connor mcgregor in the third and then completely take over the fourth and fifth possibly even tkoing connor in the fourth or fifth rounds this is of course that the fight is at lightweight but we know holloway doesn't really have that much power i mean he did hurt dustin poirier in the first right he caught him with a check hook so perhaps he does have a little bit more power at lightweight, but it's not going to be substantial, right? It's not going to be something that's much different how he hits at featherweight. But other than just like styles, Connor does have a very good style to compete with Holloway. He's very good at intercepting movements and stopping momentum and countering shots. And he's always taking every initiative. And that's an absolute perfect style to be Holloway. I think his specific techniques that he throws out there, I think that's what Holloway is going to be able to game plan for better than what McGregor can game plan for against Holloway so even though McGregor can stop the combinations and intercept the movements with his left hand and the kicks especially potentially stuff the takedowns if Holloway ever goes that route against the kicks and McGregor not putting everything he has into every single punch kind of throwing 70% punches and kicks out there just so he can keep up his gas take as long as possible I think McGregor definitely has a very good shot at beating someone like Max Holloway but at the end of the day I think Holloway is durable enough to get out of those first two rounds and not really be hurt that badly third round Connor's punch is going to be a little bit more sloppy in my opinion I think Holloway's going to be able to counter him a lot easier and from the fourth and fifth I don't think Connor's going to keep up with the volume at all I can see where Connor can win 
But I'm going to have to go with Max Holloway in that one. And then what about Chandler versus Connor and Islam versus Oliveira? I think Chandler is a difficult fight for Connor. There's always a possibility that Connor can catch Chandler on the feet where Chandler's being a little bit too wild and reckless. But if Chandler fights smart and as technical as possible, I don't see Connor stopping the takedown. I don't see him doing well against Chandler on the ground either. And Chandler could fight that way for five rounds. We've seen it before. He also has the leg kicks from a distance. He definitely has the power to knock out Connor at any given moment too. But he's way too one-dimensional to really be super effective consistently against Connor. Given moments using his wrestling where he can open up Connor for his strikes. Straight up boxing or kickboxing with Connor is not going to work. He definitely needs to mix up the wrestling heavily in that one. There has to be more wrestling than striking. So in the beginning of each round, Connor's respect for the wrestling is going to go up for each round. And that's where Chandler's punches can really get in there. So I do think Chandler should be able to beat someone like Connor. And then uh, Islam Akashev versus Oliveira. I think Islam smashes him. As good as Oliveira is on the ground. I mean, he is the guy that can compete with Islam on the ground more than anybody else in my opinion. Besides maybe Armin Saryukian still. After like the first couple rounds where Islam is able to feel out Oliveira on the ground and really understand what he's trying to do. Oliveira, I believe, is going to open himself so much on the ground going for submissions and stuff that it's just going to put him in two dangerous positions and Islam is going to take those. And then we're going to Kakashi of New Jersey. If Hamza his reign, I don't know what that means. How long do you think it will take him to get a title shot? Okay. Also, who's his bigger challenge in Usman versus Covington? Love the content. Thank you so much, man. So it does seem like he's going to probably be fighting Gilbert Burns. It's not set yet. It's just in the works. It's just talks right now. If he wins that fight, he's getting a title shot. That's just what's going to happen. I mean, Burns is the, what, number two ranked fighter right now under Colby. He beats someone like Gilbert Burns. It'd be crazy for the UFC not to give him a title shot right after that. I mean, his stock would be so high. They can build that fight. It would be a massive, massive fight against Usman. That's all he needs. But if that fight doesn't happen, he could need two fights, he can need three, it just depends who his opponent is going to be. The fact that we know that they're trying to throw him up against the number two guy of the division means that he can be one fight away. I personally think they should be a little bit slower on this because they don't want to hurt the talent. Let's say he's not ready for Usman. Let's say he's not even ready for Gilbert Burns. He just beat the number 11 guy. Yes, he made him look really weak out there. It's a big difference in gap of skill, ability, athleticism, and all that stuff. I personally think they should do Hamzat versus Neil Magny. And after that fight, if he wins, they could throw him someone like a Jorge Masvidal or something. And after that, then they could throw him someone like a uh, Gilbert Burns or Colby Covington. And after that, he gets a title shot. That's honestly the path I would take with Hamzat. And who's an easier fight for him? I think Colby's an easier fight for Hamzat for sure. And then we go to the patrons. We start with Valentin Hetzke. Why does nobody start training Sambo style wrestling and judo throws? You learn to defend him automatically when you practice it. Guys like Aljo had a much better chance to defend Jan's outside trip or things like Islam's foot sweeps. It's just not as popular. That's just what it is. I think people don't respect judo and sambo that much. I mean, theoretically, when they think about it, they respect sambo style wrestling. But a lot of the guys don't take their time to go and practice it. Sambo is one of the most complete forms of grappling you can ever do to get prepared for MMA. Combat sambo is pretty much MMA. That's why these guys from Russia who get into combat sambo at a young age, that's why they do so well in MMA when they transition. Because it's practically MMA before they get into the sport. It's just they have a gi on. They're so used to it before they even step foot in the cage. That's why guys like Habib and guys like Islam Makashev and, and I believe Zabit also did it. Magomed Ankalaev. That's why all these top guys coming out of Russia, that's why they all do so well and they dominate in the sport. In places like the United States, when you go through wrestling and stuff like that, it's just not as complete. You learn one form of grappling that could be super dominant, but you need a lot more these days. Just knowing wrestling and getting to MMA, it's just not going to do it for you like it did for fighters 15 years ago. 15 years ago, you knew wrestling? That was like the Sambo today. And that also ties into judo throws. Judo is a great base 
to learn how to counter certain wrestling techniques. It gives you a very strong base. You see this in Valentina Shevchenko when your opponents get in the clinch with her. Even with someone who's as brutish and powerful and strong like Jessica Andrade, she couldn't take her down. The hips are so strong. The base, the balance is all there. Judo is an excellent base to cover that certain area in MMA. And the biggest issue is, man, they're not as popular in other countries. Even in MMA, man, Judo is not respected that much. And then we go to Jesse Griffin. Middleweight tournament. Who wins? Everyone is in their prime. So we got bracket one, Wyman versus Adesanya, Rockhold versus Musasi, TRT Belfort versus Romero. That's a heater of a fight. And then Anderson versus Whitaker. I love that one too. And also, how does Adesanya versus Krokop and Muay Thai kickboxing go? Love your content, brother. Thank you so much, man. So Prime Wyman versus Prime Adesanya. I'm going to go with Prime Weidman in this one. I think the wrestling might be a little too strong. Weidman's a very big guy for that division. He's much bigger than Adesanya. He's not as tall or as long, but Prime Weidman was a massive middleweight. He had a very strong blast double leg. He had an excellent single leg. And his jiu-jitsu, I believe, was so top-notch. I don't think Adesanya could do much to him on the ground. He was also a lot more defensively responsible back in those days. And he had a very good chin, too. I believe he could mix up his boxing and wrestling just like he always did in the past. I think he would be successful against Adesanya, too, especially with the pressure. He was very good at low-fainting for takedowns in order to get you to back up and then pump a jab in your face. And after the jab, he'll pump something else in your face, get you to respect the hands that they're going to continue to come out. And then he goes to your legs. And if Adesanya ever overextends, he's probably going to get taken to the ground. Rockhold versus Musa. I definitely have to go with Musasi. I don't think Rockhold takes him to the ground. On the feet, Rockhold is just so one-dimensional. He's so open for shots, especially from Musasi. That right cross is going to catch him all day. The jabs, I believe, are going to catch him too. Rockhold doesn't have good head movement. He's very powerful offensively, but man, his defense is so lacking. Against a guy who's as sharp and fast as Musasi, you can't leave those kind of openings against a guy like that. So I believe Musasi knocks him out. TRT Vitor versus Romero. Romero should win this. But man, he does not make good decisions in fights. He's not consistent. And he's so wild and reckless. And TRT Vitor definitely is faster. He's definitely going to pull the trigger whenever Romero opens himself up. Because remember, Vitor is primarily a counterpuncher. He sits back a bit, waits on a guy like Romero to explode, finds that opening for his left, and that's when everything goes downhill for his opponent. He has solid takedown defense. Romero can overly scramble for positions. I'm going to lean Vitor Belfort because he definitely had the higher fight IQ, but that's a close one. Romero should win, but I just think like he's going to be in a scenario that's just going to cause himself to lose. That's just what I see in this kind of thing. Vitor is way too sharp with his counter shots. And then Anderson versus Whitaker. That's such a tough fight. My stylistically, this favors Anderson Silva. Um, Whitaker could potentially try to take this fight to the ground. I think his chances do go up for that. But I also have a feeling he's going to try to dive in there and get countered by Anderson Silva. The counter hooks and the slipping straight punches from Anderson are the main things that Whitaker is going to have to respect. But I do also believe that this fight goes to a decision that Whitaker will win this. I think he'll be a lot more consistent on landing punches and kicks. I think he can land a lot of side kicks to the knee. I think he could tag Anderson with a lot of jabs. But he's going to have to use feints in order to land those. Whereas Anderson is going to look for the knockout blow for the majority of the fight. But ultimately, I think the feints are really going to get to Anderson. I think he's going to trick what direction in the fight Whitaker is trying to take. Going to go to the body a lot. Going to go to the legs. Going to go to the head. I believe the feints are going to throw off a lot of the head hunting that Anderson is going to try to commit with. And if Whitaker does not get reckless like he did against Adesanya, he should be able to get this to a decision, in my opinion, and win. That leaves Chris Wyman to fight Gegard Musasi, in which I do believe Musasi will be able to get the finish later in the fight. And then we have TRT Vitor Belfort versus Robert Whitaker. And I think Whitaker should be able to win that one. Vitor could be pretty limited in his total skill set. I think Whitaker is going to be able to draw out the counter shots and then counter Vitor. 
and ultimately Cash Vitor with a lot of straight rights. At the end of it all, we have Gegard Mousasi versus Robert Whittaker, and I think Whittaker should win, but it is a competitive fight. And then Adesanya versus Krokop in a Muay Thai kickboxing fight. I'm probably have to go with Adesanya on this one. And then with Daniel Sendoval. I know Islam Makashev is a nightmare matchup for anybody, but what is his nightmare matchup? What's his hardest fight? And can he go up to 170 or is he too small? He seems like he's too small. I think he's what, 5'10"? He's pretty well built. He is a big guy for lightweight, but the gap between lightweight and welterweight is a bit large. If he goes up to welterweight, he'd definitely be a small welterweight. I don't think his wrestling style is going to help him in that kind of division. But his hardest matchup in the lightweight division, I think it might be Michael Chandler. Armin Saryukin will always give him a tough fight, in my opinion. So he's definitely a good pick. But stylistically, when you look at it on paper, Michael Chandler has generally the style and the strengths to give a guy like Islam a bit of fits. He has insanely good takedown defense. He's an amazing scrambler. Against Oliveira, he should have good submission defense. He has one-shot knockout power, even though Islam is a pretty hard guy to hit. He has good leg kicks and stuff like that. I do think that Islam should be able to counter Michael Chandler here and there, but the power difference between the two is going to get a lot of respect out of Islam. Islam is not going to want to make mistakes in that one. And I do see him probably desperately shooting for takedowns at points. And that's where ultimately Chandler, I believe off the disengagement when they separate from a takedown let's say Chandler is able to pry open the hands and rotate around I believe that's where he's gonna be able to land some big shots on Islam Akashev in that kind of fight potentially I think Michael Chandler should be good cardio wise it's really when he throws big heavy punches for the majority of the fight that's where he starts to gas out but when you look at fights where he stayed more technical and he wrestled a lot more he's able to keep up with his cardio longer so stylistically on paper this is just in theory it looks like Michael Chandler might be the hardest matchup for Islam. Armin Saryukin is definitely a good pick in my opinion. But everybody else, man, it's just tough. I think Joel Alvarez probably won't even fight in lightweight anymore. I mean, he's way too big. He can't make the weight. I think Fiziev gets dominated. I think Riddell gets dominated. I think Ferreira loses the decision. I think Gillespie just doesn't have the skills on the feet to beat Islam. I think Islam might even be a better striker. Connor gets submitted. Dan Hooker gets dominated again. Tony gets dominated. RDA gets dominated. Dariush gets dominated. Geishi. If he can stop the takedown, he's the hardest fight for Islam. If he can't stop the takedown like when he fought Habib, he's getting submitted fast. Like, the issue with Geishi is he has probably the worst Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu out of the whole top 15. He's going to give up his back, give up his neck, and same thing's going to happen again like it did against Habib. Dustin Poirier, I think, gets probably dominated as well. I don't think he stopped the takedown. Oliveira. I think Oliveira won't be able to stop the takedown. But at least he's a guy who can fight Islam off for an extended period of time. So he's definitely up there for one of the hardest matchups for Islam. He's also a far more capable striker. He's longer and taller as well with more knockout power. And he can fire around Islam's kind of speed. So I'll say this. Michael Chandler potentially is the hardest matchup for Islam Akashen. Number two might be Armin Saryukian because of how well-rounded he is and how much better he's going to get. He's only like, what, 24 years old or 25 years old? I think Matuj Gamrot is eventually going to be one of the hardest fights for Islam, but it's a little too soon to pick him. But I do pick Charles Oliveira as the number three guy. Everybody else, I believe, is absolutely thrashed. And then with Hydra OG, Burns versus Covington. Even though Burns didn't do as well against Usman, I believe he's the second best welterweight. And then Islam versus Habib and Jan versus Cejudo. I think Burns beats Covington. I think it's one of Covington's most difficult matchups in the entire division. He's not going to take down Burns. He's going to get submitted fast. He could get taken down by Burns. And that's actually going to be a threat for Covington. Covington is not going to be able to hang with Burns on the feet too long. He doesn't have the kind of power to hurt Burns the way Usman did. He's not going to be able to punish Burns for some of the overextension or sitting on the center line and stuff. Burns is going to start kicking Covington legs he's gonna mask up high kicks with those his straight right and left hooks are gonna be massive weapons against Covington that's a very difficult fight for Colby Covington now does that mean I think that Burns is the second best in the division I don't think so 
because I do think that Covington can beat more of the top 15 than Burns can. Do you know who Burns loses to? Striker is a good takedown defense. If you want to look at a general style, those are the kind of guys that Burns will lose to. Because even though his takedowns are strong, they're not on the level of Colby or Usman, where you need an extraordinary amount of skill in your takedown defense to be able to stuff Covington and Kamar Usman's takedowns. So like potentially... Burns could probably lose to a guy like Leon Edwards. He could lose to someone like Vicente Luque. He could potentially lose to Jorge Masvidal, whereas Colby would most likely beat these guys. And then Islam versus Habib. I'm going to go with Habib. And then uh, Jan versus Cejudo. That's honestly one of the best fights you can ever put on in the UFC. I'll probably go Cejudo, but that's a tough fight. And then we go to Mark Fletcher, which is the worst downfall in your opinion? John Jones, Conor McGregor, or Tony Ferguson? I would say competitively, Tony Ferguson is definitely the one who has fallen the most. He's not the same guy anymore. The damage has been way too much. Whereas Conor McGregor can somewhat still compete. And John Jones, of course, as we know, is still one of the best fighters in terms of what he can do in the cage. Conor honestly hasn't fallen as bad as Tony and Jones have. Jones has fallen outside of the cage. It's going to be about time where it impacts him inside the cage. And then we go to Dave McMaddy. In a parallel universe, if Izzy never fought Jan and only decided to go up to light heavyweight, how do you think he'd fare up against Glover? Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, man. Now, I think he probably would also lose to Glover. Now, for sure, he's not stopping Glover's takedowns. And on the ground, he is not going to survive. I believe he will get submitted by Glover. On the feet, as Glover's trying to make his way in, there's a lot more opportunity for Adesanya to counter him and make him pay for a lot of the overextension and a lot of the defenseless aggression. Jan kind of respected Glover a little bit too much. I don't think Adesanya would do that. Who knows? Maybe he would too. I think he also probably loses to Glover. And then go to Andrizzle. Is it possible for TJ to beat Pietro Jan as Jan looks unbeatable as of right now? Is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? Probably not. The way that Jan beat Corey Sanhagen and figured him out in the fight tells you how crazy he is at downloading data and reading the opponent. I mean, Sanhagen took that fight on short notice. And Jan still dealt with him better than TJ did, who had a full camp against Sanhagen. Imagine if Pietro Jan had a full training camp dedicated to fighting Corey Sanhagen and figuring him out. It would have been a lot easier for him because Sanhagen is a very tricky fighter and he can really get ahead of opponents when they don't understand of how to fight him. His trickiness with his height, his reach, his speed, the fact that he switches stances so many times, all the unpredictable nature of Corey Sanhagen is a thing that really gives opponents a difficult time with him. And Jan was able to figure him out later in the fight, even though he took the fight on short notice. That is very telling in terms of how he's going to be able to pick up on TJ and start capitalizing on him. I believe TJ is going to have a strong first round. He'll probably be able to keep a jab on Patreon's face, tag him with a bunch of light kicks, and try his hand in some takedowns. But where they start to work in the first round, I think they're going to be completely neutralized the later the fight goes. As I believe it's easier to figure out TJ as it is to figure out Corey Sanhagen. Another one by Andrew is a lot. People really like your questions. Who wins these fantasy matchups? Patreon versus Max Holloway. Holloway for sure. Colby Covington versus Gilbert Burns. Gotta go with Burns. Islam versus Charles Oliveira. Gotta go with Islam. Usman versus Prime Anderson Silva. I'm gonna have to go with Usman. Colby Covington versus Prime GSP. Gotta go with GSP. Love the content, man. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much for the questions, man. And then we go to Luke. Hamza seemed incredibly strong at welterweight, effortlessly picking up the leech. Do you think he would have the same strength advantage at middleweight against the top guys? Not the same advantage, no. I think Marvin Vittori is very strong. Kedanier, Dirk Brunson, Whitaker definitely will give him a fight in the strength department. But would it be shocking for me to see him picking up someone like Kedanier or even Whitaker and slamming them like that? It wouldn't be super shocking. Now, it would be more shocking to see him do that against maybe Vittori and Derek Brunson, given that they're both grapplers. And I could definitely see him doing it to Adesanya. I think he definitely is stronger than Adesanya is. But the other guys, it would be a tough task for him to do that to them. I do not see him beating Whitaker at all. 
I think if he were to beat Vittori, it would be him evolving in a strike and using that against him. I think he would be able to out-wrestle Jarek Hedinier. You know, I think he would have a tough time with Derek Brunson. But if he were to beat him, I think it would be a combination of wrestling and boxing. Polo Costa, I think he would be able to wrestle Costa, in my opinion. But it wouldn't be the same kind of strength advantage, given that those guys are much bigger than the welterweights. And then what's a Ray? If Kamar Usman didn't exist... Colby would be the champion. What other divisions is this true for? Holloway and Volkanovski come to mind. Great content, by the way, man. Thank you so much. So that's a very true statement. If Usman did not exist, Colby would be the champ right now. If he can avoid Gilbert Burns, in my opinion. The same would go with Adesanya and Whitaker in the moment. I mean, I know Whitaker was the champ, but right now, if Adesanya did not exist, Whitaker would still be the champion. He's clearly the second best guy, way above everybody else. It's not true for lightweight at all. I mean, all those guys can win the belt. For Max Holloway, it is true. For bantamweight, even though Pierre Chiyan is clearly the best guy there, the second, third, fourth, and fifth, they're all close. They can all beat each other. So it's not true for them. There's really a true king in that division, and everybody else is fighting for the spot to face that guy. For uh, flyweight, it's definitely true for Figueredo until that weight cut kills him. I believe it's also true in the women's bantamweight division for Jermaine Duranemi. I don't think anybody else beats her. In the flyweight division right now, I believe it's true for Jessica Andrade. I believe if uh, Valentina Shevchenko was not the champ, then Andrade would be. In women's strawweight, it's a little bit different because if roles did not exist, then Zhang Weili would be the champ, right? But Ioana can always contest that. And I believe Esparza would give up a tough battle as well. I do think Jean Wei Li is the second best of that division. So I guess you could say it's true, but it's not definitive. And then what's a Connor 795? Number one, do you think Connor is a good next fight for Chandler? If not, who else should he fight? If I was in Connor's camp, I would not want Chandler. Absolutely not. That's a way too dangerous of a fight. Especially coming back after such a big injury. If I was in Connor's camp, 100% I would target Tony Ferguson. It's the easiest big money fight he can get. It's a good fight to bounce back in that lightweight division. And it's a fight he would for sure win right now. If they were both in their prime, I would favor Tony Ferguson. But right now, I think Connor would absolutely beat him. Nate Diaz is definitely not the opponent, even though he's not that kind of caliber of a fighter. Stylistically, he gives Connor a hard fight every single time. Like, that's too difficult a fight for Connor to come back after that injury. Chandler is way too difficult stylistically, and he's so dangerous. Dustin Poirier is definitely not the fight. Any of these top guys in the lightweight division is not the fight for Connor, in my opinion. And number two, what is your favorite fight of the year so far? Chandler versus Justin Gaethje. I mean, that fight was crazy. Keeps replaying in my head, man. That first round is one of the greatest rounds of all time. And number three, most hyped matchups for 2022. Whitaker versus Adesanya. I cannot wait for that. Surreal Gone versus Francis Ngannou is insane. I really want to see Hamza Shemaya versus uh, Gilbert Burns. And I don't know any other fights that are happening next year. Yeah, those are some amazing fights, though. And then with Jason Stevens, should Colby move down to lightweight and how do you see him doing in that division? I think at some point he should try his hand at lightweight. He should try to make the cut just to see how he feels down there. He can seem like a pretty big guy, but you have to remember that Colby does not weigh even 190. He would definitely be a huge lightweight. He would tower over a lot of those guys in that division. He's six feet tall, walks around in the high 180s. Yeah, he's definitely going to be a big guy in there, but you have to think Michael Chandler is bigger than he is. Michael Chandler actually even walks around heavier than Kamaru Usman. Tony Ferguson, same kind of thing. Habib, bigger than Colby. Justin Gage is around that size. Dustin Poirier is around that size. In fact, Colby said that Dustin is bigger than he is because he used to train with him all the time. So I think that Colby would be able to make the weight. And if he is able to, and let's say he's healthy, I think Oliveira, Justin Gage, 
Islam Makashev and Michael Chandler are the hard fights for Colby Covington. Justin Gaethje can sprawl and brawl. He's a better striker overall. He's more technical. He's more powerful. Michael Chandler can sprawl and brawl, but the power is even more magnified. And we saw how a power difference between Kamaru Usman and Colby plays out. But I think it's a bit of an easier fight than it would be against Justin Gaethje. Given the fact that Colby's striking defense has gotten a lot better. He's more technical. He's gotten much better at getting away from those big punches, especially from a much shorter Michael Chandler who's had to dig into Colby's reach. Charles Oliveira could potentially submit him. Colby does not want to go to the ground with the guy. And if he stays on the feet, Oliveira can generally outstrike him. And Islam Makashev is the guy that could potentially take Colby to the ground and find a way to submit him. And then with the bossy, how many UFC fighters in the top 15 in the middleweight division could Jake Paul beat in a straight up boxing match? How long do you think until MMA evolves so much where you can confidently say every fighter in the welterweight division would have been a problem for GSP? Okay, so you got multiple questions here. Okay, so first question, how many of the top 15 middleweights can Jake Paul beat in a boxing match? Let's look at the top 15. He loses to Shabazzian, might lose to Weidman, that's a give or take. Loses to Imavov, loses to Holland, loses to Tavares, he loses to Gaslam, Uriah Hall beats him too, Darren Till absolutely thrashes him, Sean Strickland punishes him out there, Jack Hermanson I think beats him pretty soundly, Paula Costa destroys him. Now against Derek Brunson, I could probably lean to Jake Paul. Yeah, I'm going to lean to Jake Paul, Derek Brunson seems to be a little bit too open for shots. I mean, he can knock out Jake Paul, but he's not going to be able to keep up with this cardio, and I think Jake Paul will be able to keep a jab on him encounter him. Jarek Henier knocks him out clean. Marvin Vittori, I think, beats him pretty soundly, but it would be a bit difficult for him, in my opinion. Robert Whitaker makes it not a fight at all. And Adesanya, I mean, I don't even have to talk about that. And then how long until MMA evolves so much where we can confidently say every single fighter in the welterweight division would have been a problem for GSP? Maybe 20 to 30 years from now. Having seen Max versus Yair, how there's still a lot of proven for Max to become unstoppable, where would you like to see him go for a different camp? to work on his weaknesses. Trevor Whitman, no, I'm kidding. That's always the answer, right? Maybe Mark Henry. Maybe with Frank Yeager and Eddie Alvarez and those guys. They have a completely opposite style to Max Holloway. They deal well with leg kicks. They're more wrestling-oriented, and that could definitely help develop even uh, Max Holloway's takedowns. And they deal very well with getting hit and able to adapt in those kind of exchanges. So I think Mark Henry would be a great fit for Max Holloway. Thank you as always, Weasel, for the content. Been following you for many years now. When you're sitting at the ESPN desk, don't forget about us boys. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that would be crazy, man. And I would never forget about you guys, ever. I mean, that's why I do this podcast. I just love interacting with you guys, answering you guys' questions, and it's one of the best ways for me to connect directly to your guys' thoughts of the sport. And go to Ali Hussein. Seeing as Rumble and Gustafsson both beat the current champ, oh, that is actually crazy. If they came back to the heavyweight division, but in their prime form, how would you see them competing up against the top guys? Yeah, man, they both destroyed Glover. I mean, Rumble knocked him out in, what, 12 seconds, was it? And Alexander Gustafsson schooled him from start to finish. Had one of the greatest knockouts of all time against him. So if Prime Gustafsson and Prime Rumble were back, how would this go down? I think they both easily beat Ian Kutilaba. They both knock out Jamal Hill. They both beat Jim Crute. They beat Ryan Spann. They definitely beat Paul Craig. Stylistically, it's just an awful matchup for Craig. Gustafson cleans out Johnny Walker. But Johnny Walker can probably get some hits in there on uh, Anthony Johnson. But Johnson just has an insane chin. I think eventually Johnson would clip Walker in that first round and put him out. They both beat Nikita Krylov. They both would beat Volkan Uzdemir. I think Rumble knocks out Reyes. And Reyes versus Gustafson would be a close fight. I would ultimately have to lean to Gustafson's side. Reyes is a good puncher. But he's not as technical of a boxer to be able to exploit the same things he did against John Jones, but against Gustafson. Gustafson is going to be able to read that left hand eventually. I think he would start to counter those. 
and start to implement some of his wrestling behind his boxing to really catch Reyes off guard. And then Mongo Ben Ankalaev, I think he beats Rumble for sure, and him and Gustafson would have a very close fight. Extremely close fight. But ultimately, I might have to lean to Ankalaev. Tiago Santos, I think Gustafson beats him pretty soundly, and Rumble has a tough time with him. That would be one of the most explosive light heavyweight fights of all time. Man, you could really go back and forth in that one. They're both not that technical. One shot and the other guy could go down, possibly with Rumble. I mean, Rumble has an insane chin, like I said. So maybe it would take a couple shots from Santos. But Santos has better distance management. He's better with his movement. It's really up in the air. I can't really decide in that one. For Anthony Smith, Gustin destroys him. And I think Rumble would knock him out as well. And now for Alexander Rakic. I think he beats Rumble. And Gustafson, I think, decisions him. I think Rakic will be a little bit too defensive against Gustafson's volume boxing and ultimately loses on the scorecards as when he tries his offense, he tries to kick the legs, he tries his body kicks, he tries to extend with his long combinations. I think Gustafson will be able to get away from those, check those, or even take Rakic to the ground for the leg kicks and be able to just rack up on points. And now Yuri Prohaska. When I think of him fighting Rumble, I'm honestly scared for Yuri. He puts himself in the fire and he does not hit like Rumble does. Man, that could really go either way, but I'm going to have to probably lean to Rumble. And then I think Gustafsson takes him down and dominates him. Jan Blahovic. I think Jan finishes Rumble later in the fight. He's going to be able to get away from the power shots that he takes down Rumble, especially as Rumble starts to get a bit aggressive. And as for Gustafsson, I think Gustafsson beats Jan Blahovic. On the feet, Gustafsson's going to have a bit of a hard time, but I think he's going to be able to take Jan to the ground and rack up on points for ground pound. And then finally, Glover Tashira. Glover can definitely beat Rumble, but man, I just see him getting knocked out again. Like, I see him ducking into an uppercut or something like that or getting hit by a check hook. Glover gets hit and he gets hurt, but he's not surviving a shot from Rumble, man. He's going to get hit by Rumble 100%. That's definitely going to happen. And I just do not see him taking one punch. So I got to go with Rumble again. And as for Gustafsson... I think Gustafson dominates him pretty easily. I don't think Glover could get Gustafson to the ground. You have to remember that a prime Gustafson has some of the most insane takedown defense we've ever seen. And he just completely outboxes an older Glover with a weaker chin. So in fact, I honestly think a fight with Glover now would be easier for Gustafson than when it was when he beat him the first time. And then we go to Prithvish Roy. Jones versus Nganu is set. You are Jones head coach. What's the game plan? What's your corner advice? Etc. So the goal of the fight is try to get Nganu to the ground. Pick at him from a distance. Not too many sidekicks to the knee. Because I believe Nganu might try to punch over those. It's going to be way too dangerous. So instead of that, pump out a bunch of jabs. A lot of things poking at Nganu, not eye pokes. I'm going to have to be careful of my terminology because Jones might take it the wrong way. Some sidekicks here and there. Oblique kicks for sure. And just try to get Nganu to overextend. Where you can shoot in your double leg takedown and getting him to the ground. That is the goal of the fight. And on the ground, Nganu is probably going to give up his back at some point. He's probably going to expose himself. And Jones needs to grab onto something. He needs to get a neck. He needs to get an arm. He needs to get a submission from there. That is the goal of the whole fight. But this is round by round. First and second round is used to gas Nganu out. Taking him to the ground is going to be priority because that is where Nganu is going to gas out the most. He's not going to gas out as much on the feet as he will on the ground because he is more of a natural striker than he is a wrestler. But at the same time, you don't want to clinch up with the guy too much. Maybe clinches here and there just to neutralize the action, just to slow down the pace a bit. But stay defensive in the clinch, not allow Ngannou to clip you in there because that's what he's going to look to do. Throw some elbows here and there, but mostly try to go to the body, right? Knees to the body, punches to the body, and look to try to push him up against the cage and stuff like that. 
but don't go strength for strength with Nganu. When Jones feels that Nganu is starting to use his strength against him, that's where he wants to put a bit of resistance before looking to disengage and separate completely. Jones has to make Nganu use his strength as much as possible. And like I said, body shots are going to be a way to go too, even from a distance. That's why I was saying psychics to the body, teeps to the body, those are going to be great things. Left body hooks are going to be there and a very good technique. Those long jabs to the body, man, just spearing right through him. Those are the punches that Jones is going to have to go to for the first two rounds. Gas Nganu out as much as possible before the takedowns becomes a lot easier and Nganu exposes himself. When he gives up his neck, Jones has to get that right away. So that's a general game plan off the top of my head. And then with the end, Schumann, Cena. Alex Barrera, what do you think of his kickboxing fight with Izzy? Izzy was really putting it on him before he got knocked out. Do you think he has a chance to get a title shot? I am guessing the current Izzy will be harder to knock out. Adesanya really changed his approach from the first to the second. The second he was brawling a little bit more, he was more aggressive. And that is the reason why he was having a different outcome against Alex Barrera. I don't think Alex even expected Izzy to come out like that. Because you have to remember in the first fight, Pereira did decision Izzy. Only for Izzy to start lighting him up a bit. And Pereira really showed that he had an amazing chin. Right, To take shots from Adesanya, who has a legit knockout power, even against heavyweights. To be able to take those kind of punches tells you a lot of how difficult it is to hurt this guy. But he seems to probably have a bit of an issue when it comes to close range volume defense. When you can keep an output on him in close range, it seems like he doesn't deal with it that well. Now you have to also remember this fight was a long time ago. They are definitely not the same guys, either of them, from when they competed up against each other. But ultimately, a lot of people point out that Izzy was putting it to him. It was because he became so aggressive. But him being so aggressive also caused him to get knocked out. It goes both ways here. When Izzy fought more technical, Alex beat him by a decision. When Izzy got more aggressive and tried to knock Pereira out with every shot, it was working, but it ultimately got him knocked out because Pereira was that durable. Now, do I think he has a chance to get a title shot? He is a bit older, but he looked really good in his first fight. The guy tried to take him down over and over again. He showed good takedown defense for the majority of it. And you have to remember, that's his, what, fourth or fifth professional MMA fight? It's only going to get better from there. Can't teach a dog new tricks, but I wonder how much better his wrestling is going to get training with guys like Glover Teixeira. If he could develop takedown defense enough to stop everybody's takedowns, even a guy like Derek Brunson's, and you have to remember that middleweight division has weaker wrestling compared to the other divisions, so it really helps Alex Pereira get further up the rankings, there is a chance he gets a title shot in the future. Now you're saying the current Izzy will be harder to knock out? I don't know with four-ounce gloves though, man, because you have to remember when they're kickboxing, they're bigger gloves. So in terms of the hands... It might even be easier for Pereira to knock him out with one shot. But everything else is going to be relatively similar. Now, it is MMA. There's always going to be some threat of takedown. I mean, even if it's not present in the style, that takedown threat is always going to have to be there somewhat. Because it is MMA. You don't want to get caught off guard. Right, if Izzy's just thinking, oh, Pereira's not going to shoot in a takedown, I'm going to fight him just like a kickboxer, and then he gets taken to the ground. Now what happens? It's still MMA. So even though they're both kickboxers, there is that level of threat that's going to change the dynamic of the fight just a little bit for both guys. But ultimately, I could definitely see where each guy wins this fight. And that is the end of the podcast, guys. Great questions. I wish I could get to more of them. But as always, next time, make sure to get in your questions as I'm looking forward to more of them.